Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Hello. How are you feeling? Uh, good. I, I was re-watching all the comedians in cars. Uh, they were talking about the opening line when you start a comedy show. And yeah. that the worst one is, how are you guys doing? Because there's 5,000 people in the crowd. They can't respond. So, hi, Jeremy. Yeah. How are you doing? But uh, You yeah. know, in, okay. um, in management, they tell you never to ask that question. Um, but they do give you some hacks, like... And the reason is because you get a vague answer, like, and there's no incentive to say bad, <laughs> but like one of the hacks is like, how's life? Just to ask, like, even just tweaking it a little bit uh, yeah. outside the norm. Um, how is life? Do you think about your opening line when you perform? Well, it was consistently the same for, forever. It was like, I'm so excited to be here, but you know, and that was just like a kind of a cliche of like every Texio gets up on stage. We've got a lot of great That's things a great to announce question. today. Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so excited yeah. you asked that. Have you seen that on those uh, congressional hearings that they say, oh, that's an amazing question. Thank you so much. Really good question. Oh, yeah. such a good question. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for yeah. the question. It's such a good question. Yeah. yeah. Well, if they said like, hey, that's a terrible question. It's a run on sentence or something like that. I don't think they'd get very many more questions. So anyway. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah. So uh, your network situation is better because last week your could router be. could be worse. Just dropped signal. Yeah, we're talking we're talking routers here. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, everyone's favorite topic, I think, in the pandemic well, the, world. The reason I'm interested is because I listened to a few podcasts, and Eero is a constant sponsor of nerdy podcasts, and and all the hosts say, "Oh, Eero is so great." I had, and I even, at some point, we got a Casper mattress. It must have been because I always heard it on uh, podcast ads. And then, yeah. luckily, they had a return uh, option. So we sent it back. But it was a horrible mattress. Really Well, you know, everyone terrible. wants to so, give you the iPad. So Eero I, I, is... The iPod of whatever, right? So, like, your Casper mattress is like the iPod. It's like the iPod effect. It's Steve Jobs established this kind of, like, repackage it as simple innovation it finally solves all of the problems, right? And uh, yeah. and put a uh, put a price tag on it that's actually yeah. more expensive than the norm. Sometimes but I, I mean, I really enjoyed the iPod when it came out. It really was better than uh, whatever Rio, uh, uh, LG, uh, Sony MP3 players. Yeah, but it probably had like less functionality for about the same price. It was just, it was the user experience is all I'm talking about. No, I, I don't believe in this spin of like, oh, Apple just puts a price tag on it and that's why you like it. <laughs> no, I think user I experience that. is better. I think that user experience yeah. is what you is what everyone got in the business of. And I ended up in my industry too. It was like um, adding like, and it was high, it was also a hiring trend, which is let's, let's take any product which has low utilization, add user experience, improve utilization, improve adoption, more people will buy it. No, you know? I, I think you're missing something. I think this sounds like business talk when you, in a very shallow way, like, oh, let's put the millennial co coat of paint on it. Yeah. Like like you, you, you have insurance and insurance sucks and, oh, we'll make an app and that'll make, but it's still crappy insurance. You're still not getting good value. Okay, you well, just put some illustrations. But my my question is, why did why was the Eero so bad? Yeah. So, well, the Eero. But I, I think the comparison with Apple is not fair because I, you know, okay. I, right now I'm running a laptop that has been consistently working for eight years, never had a problem. So I don't think but we're talking it's about a superficial routers. millennial coding. But if you look at routers, like the router that I just yeah. put, I, so I actually had to like stop using my Eero, put it in the closet. 
And I went back to my old router, which is an Archer A7, as recommended by Wirecutter. It's like got three huge antennas sticking out of it. Right now, I'm looking at it across the room. There are about 100 lights flashing in different sequences. Yeah, yeah it, it looks like a post-internet sculpture. <laughs> and But the you know the what Eero promised was, hey, we'll take away all of this nonsense. We'll give you like one jack in the back. And we'll promise you Wi-Fi will finally be stable. Like you won't fall off the Wi-Fi. You won't have to like configure anything. You won't have to like get into your like DHCP settings or something like that or you won't have to log into some obscure IP address. It all just works. And you can manage it from an app on your phone. And, but what ended up happening was, like, they, you know, it, it would, like, crash every... Um, but, but what made you get them? Like, what was the problem to be solved? The problem to be solved was, like, we might experience it on this call. Like, sometimes the Wi-Fi would, like, be a little bit mediocre. Because mm. I live in a building with a lot of frequencies, and like these oh, modern okay. routers, what they do is they like are constantly analyzing, like, how can we get the best signal to you? How can we get the best oh, signal? I like, think my router is so old, it doesn't do that. So that's <laughs> why there's no problem. I just have the one that comes with the internet subscription. And then I think I actually pay for 250 a month or something for the rental of the modem and router. Yeah. So uh, the other yeah. thing is it, the Eero is a mesh router. So if you live in a home, which I don't even, I didn't even need that functionality. It'll automatically, you can like have three of them. You can even buy them in a three pack. And then they'll find each other and they'll like create what's like this mesh Wi-Fi over your whole home. And so there won't be any like kind of little yeah. dropouts. Like I, I, could, I I'm could, surprised because I listen to so many podcasts and everybody's like, Eero's the best. Oh, I have them in all my homes and it solves everything. Yeah. Well, you know what I ended up doing? And I think it is working right now is I took my router out of the metal cabinet <laughs> that I had it in. My old router, and oh. now it's like I have it like sitting out in in the open. It's As hideous. a glorious sculpture. Yeah, yeah. but my the Eero is like just a white little box with one LED that was either on. Yeah, yeah, it's, or it's it was, like Apple yeah. design. Yeah. yeah, So anyway, I'm back in like 1998 in my apartment, but it seems to be working. I got three antennas aimed right at me at my computer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's kind of disappointing that the because you, you always think why can't they make the router smaller and more intuitive to use? And, yeah. Uh, you know, one one like a humble like uh, bitch for a second, like or brag. It's not brag. It's like because it's a bitch. It's like something that's not doesn't work well that people might not know. Um, as you know, I have the Tesla, and just a little update on the user experience of the Tesla. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why are you liking yeah. it? Okay. Why, Wi-Fi in a Tesla sucks like terribly. It's like it's like twenty years out of date or something like that. Why do you um, need Wi-Fi in the Tesla? Because you can't upgrade your software without Wi-Fi. Um, oh, you mean the so? How do you get Wi-Fi to the car? Okay, so you could either tether to your phone, which I've done, yeah, or you could do what I've done now, which is like install an outdoor Wi-Fi router on your on your balcony <laughs> in your condominium oh, and beam yeah, it down yeah. to the street. Uh, but a lot of people will do it at work, or if you have a home, like you, you would do outdoor Wi-Fi or something like that, or you use a well, mesh, you, you'd use a mesh mesh router. Yeah. You wouldn't want 5G in the Tesla because then if someone hacks your car while you're in the middle of the road, that's not good. Well, Teslas are built in, have built in LTE. So you have cellular oh, connectivity, do. but it won't, um, it, for some reason, it won't down, do large downloads uh, or downloads. Uh, because I always thought that anything that's on the network can be hacked. So I imagine like uh, the oh, yeah. iRobot sort of scenario where, with the, the Will Smith movie. 
where there's just a fleet of cars and all of a sudden someone hits a switch and they all start crashing into each other. Yeah, I'm hopeful one day someone will just like take the wheel from me, (laughs) drive me to their home and say, it's over. You know, that's a good way to end one's life. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> game Look over. Look at this Jeremy. cliff. This is the last thing you'll see. Yeah, yeah it'll be like the seg- the inventor of the Segway who dro- drove off of a cliff in his invention. I think it was not the inventor. It was someone who bought the company. No, no, it was the inventor. He was testing an off-road version of the Segway. I verified oh. this earlier this week. <laughs> yeah, he, f- he drove off a cliff, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On an wow. That, that is... That's an artwork. Yeah, that's a good one. Th- like, that's a good... Like, uh, I can't think of a better performance. So... We're doing things differently today. Um, we're not just going to talk about routers. We're actually, um, if anyone listened to the end, well, we know at least one person listened to the end of our last episode. Our loyal friend, <laughs> Intan Godelk. Yeah. and um, He's a bit of a mystery to me. I think we've been in communication with him a few times, but he doesn't have a website and his Instagram is kind of limited. So Is that right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I Googled him a little bit, but I don't know that much about him. I the only thing I know is uh, he was in Korea for work, but I don't know where he lives. We know we know now. Also, he's a three D artist, and um, yeah, and our top and listener, his accent is sounds Spanish, but he could also be from Argentina. So I'm, I'm not that knowledgeable. <laughs> we can do on more of a biography on him for sure. But yeah. Um, yeah, what we wanted to do is we wanted to change the format of the podcast a little bit from movie reviews, which was a brief interlude to help people through the pandemic, which of course is over. <laughs> Just kidding. It's like worse than ever. Well, yeah, um, we wanted to be streaming buddies. Yeah, we wanted to be streaming buddies for a year. We did that. And we want to kind of move back a little bit more to our roots, but we want to do it in a way where it's more inclusive of our audience. And that was the part that we liked the most about our previous format was just how much more audience interaction we had. So yeah, uh, we're inviting questions that we're going to answer. And our first question is from Intan. And um, we'll listen to it now. Yeah, let's listen to it. Hi, Jeremy, Rafael. Hope you're doing well. Happy New Year. Uh, I have a question about time and productivity. The question is, which way of work do you prefer? Having a to-do list or having time slots to complete tasks along the day? Which way of work do you prefer and which way of work do you think is the best uh, and why? Because the context is, I'm a freelancer, I'm a 3D artist, I make 3D stuff for a living. And in these uncertain times, as they said, I I have a lot of work. Uh, thankfully, I'm very grateful for that. But the thing is, I've been finding myself having little troubles completing things, depending on the way of approaching the work. Um, for example, right now I'm in a Korean hotel. I'm stuck in a room. Long story short, I just arrived at the country and I have to quarantine here. And I've been here 10 days and the only thing I can really do is work. And that has given me the chance to notice some subtle changes on the work. For example, when I have a to-do list approach, the work comes out usually more focused, but I can't complete all the tasks in, the, in a day and I start to drag tasks along the days and then along the weeks, and then it's a final week situation, like in college when you have finals and you have to complete everything at the last week. Because I have no time pressure, I can focus on things and and that's good. But then when I have a time slot approach, I am able to finish a lot of more things, but the work comes out usually less focused. Uh, it's that thing like when Kirk Hammett wrote the Enter Sandman Riff, supposedly he wasn't in a hotel room at 2 a.m. 
and you're not gonna stop writing the Enter Sandman riff just because your time slot finished. I'm not saying I'm at that level, not at all, but when you're making creative work, as much as the term makes me cringe, it is creative work, I think. Um, you, well, at least my mind, don't take time in consideration uh, all the time. So it's difficult to focus on things when you have a timer running. But what do you think? What do you think is the best way? And do you think there's a balance? How to reach that balance? Um, I don't know. I want to know what do you think about it? I hope it's not a boring question or not that boring. And I'm sorry for my English is the best that I can do. Uh, thank you for the podcast and keep doing the good work at good point. So that was the question about time and mm -hmm. to do and efficiency and focus and all these things that we both have strong opinions about. Creativity, I think, as well. Yeah. Yeah. This, I, I don't it, know where to start because I have so much well, my, to say. Well, my first thought of, of anything of time management is um, get rid of everything in your life and then you have lots of time. Wait, before we go, great question. Great question. <laughs> that was yeah, good. great question. Great Thank question. you. Thank, Thank you, you so question. much. Great question. That's great. so thoughtful. Yeah. <laughs> We couldn't do it without you. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I just wanted to get that out. Um, yeah, so, you know, but let's do the summary of the problem, which is like, okay, um, well, there are a few, we have to unpack the problem into a few parts, right? Like, is it better? And let's also paraphrase, like, Raf and I are going to talk about it, this from our personal experience and some of what, you know, versus like, we're not experts, right? So this is the, what is this, the layman's uh, approach to answering yeah, the question? Yeah, but I, I think the phrasing of the question, whether... You use a to-do list or time slots. I think that's a few steps down the road, and I think you have to begin at the beginning. Yeah, I was going to try and get us to a higher why as well. Like, what is the meaning of life? Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I, I, I do think, uh, uh, you know, Tim Ferriss, the guy who wrote the yeah. four-hour work week, yeah, yeah. he's a sort of clickbait author. Mm -hmm. I always see the the title of the articles, and I'm like, that's interesting. And you start reading it, it's oh, it's a bit disappointing. Mm -hmm. But he was interviewing uh, this artist who started Pioneer Works and talking about art sort of from the layman's, uh, from a non-artist perspective. And he said, oh, yeah, I think a lot of my audience, they're people with families and commitments and things like that. So it's hard for them to imagine being an artist because they have a lot of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And I think we both made the decision not to have kids also partly because of that. So... Um, I think a lot of artists start life with the idea of uh, not having a lot of things that other people oh, yeah. are working towards. For sure. So I think that's that. I think that's the very very beginning where you're like, it's beginning okay, of a problem. I, I don't need three homes and seven cars <laughs> yeah. and whatever. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, so, the way I would paraphrase this is the beginning of turning something off to turn something else on, right? Like, so, you know, yeah. the, the common lament I'll hear, like, not from folks like Intel, but from others um, who are maybe trying to get into becoming an artist more, or do more creative work. And they'll say, like, how do you make time for that? That'll be their first yeah, thing yeah. before they make money yeah. from it. How do I even make time to, to develop this technique or, you know, explore this area? And the first thing I always say is, well, what are you willing to let go of, right? Um, and they're like, what are you look? Why are you looking? I feel like that. I'm like, well, like you can't just add, add, add. You have to take something away. Um, 
And the first well, thing it's, it's that good, you know, that documentary about the sushi master. Mm-hmm. It's always a, a good example of someone who's very specialized. And it seemed like he didn't have a lot of hobbies or a car collection and things like that. Well, I also think like, you know, because of capitalism, we're taught that like more is better, right? Accumulation, but accumulation of tasks or accumulation of interests, though connected to romance and the idea of like, um, what do they call it? Like, um, um, you know, someone, a renaissance person, um, that idea of like doing a little bit of everything, um, unfortunately, is there are limits to it. And a lot of people have like studied this, including Tim Ferriss and others, you know, have written books about it. Yeah, learn um, everything in three hours. I like this guy, Morton Hansen. He wrote a book called Be Great at Work. Um, but like, they all come down to one thing, which is like, there's a limited resource that capitalism is aware of actually, uh, but it's time, right? Like, so we all know. And it's that. not just capitalism; it's also family or friends, and and yeah, uh, it's it's, it, it's finite. It, I, I think I think uh, our generation often likes to use this word, capitalism, as this force that is kind of abstract and dictates everything. Sure, uh, but a lot of times it's quite concrete and right in front of you, and so it's. Uh, uh, can you help me out with this birthday party? Or, yeah. uh, curb your enthusiasm is maybe a good example. I think I only right? said that capitalism is aware of it because the there are different levers that capitalism uses. One is like, oh yeah, uh, you know, one is technology automation and efficiency, like you know, to get more out of time. Like, how do we spend less time? Yeah, doing the same and thing? and inventing products that would save you time, yeah. like. Your accounting software, in in theory, it would help people save time and focus on their creative work. That's right, an average of twenty seven days a year. Rather, than just kidding. Like, yeah. it is like some ridiculous. Let me tell you about a family package. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, but you're you're not you're not wrong. Like, and so and it's one. So it's one of the things that has been sold. Like, you know, it, it's like a similar to snake oil or anything else. Like, live forever you know, get, t- you know, fountain of time, <laughs> you know, it's one of those like things, love, um, you know, yeah, great yeah, food yeah, yeah. That, that is yeah, like yeah, yeah. always on sale. Time is always on sale. Someone wants to give you more. And, time and there's always, um, I think, society in general, whether it's religion or capitalism or family, there's always the thought that you're not using all your potential. Mm-hmm. And I think that's always a very strong sales pitch. Mm. Like, you're a genius if only you had this pen. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The thing holding you back is you not having yeah, this pen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and I have that feeling very strongly mm-hmm. all the time. Like uh, I, I think it's it's very possible to be aware of the tricks of marketing and myth and still be a victim of it. Like we watched that documentary about social networks, and even the people making the products were still hooked. Yeah. So uh, it, you can be very aware of the things that are reducing your time and causing you stress and making you feel bad and less creative and you still use them. Okay, but instead of talking about this in abstract, can we talk about it from our own personal experience? Yeah, well, I I think uh, you are the clearest example where if you really needed more time for your work, you could quit your day job and make it work, but you also like your day job. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, actually, it's not that. That's not the equation. And also, I'm going to like caveat that I think this is something that I, I think about every day. We probably all do to a certain extent, but one that I have not mastered. However, people are like usually very um, surprised or impressed by how many things I do because I yeah, co-founded yeah, yeah, a school. Yeah. I also do this podcast. I have my art practice. and I'm So you're able to do 
you're, you're able to have two careers at the same time. Yeah, two or three or sometimes four careers. So, how, yeah. you know, how, how is that managed? And I'm happy to divulge, like, how, how that functions. Um, and it's, like, not just being, it, like, you need a little bit of talent, obviously, but talent's usually not the, the primary thing I, I think about when I'm doing this stuff. One thing, one thing that really helped me, though, is this idea, like, ironically, of doing less and obsessing over less things but well maybe maybe your day job has taught you to trust others to do parts of the work well i was talking about this with someone yesterday which is like at some point you recognize that you can't do it all alone and you need a team right that's one of the ways you can scale that's like the easiest answer to like how do i scale myself or how do i like create more time well most people you know start working with a team to do that but then you still have tasks you know but they and they shift and they change and sometimes they make you miserable. Like one, I was talking to a friend and she had become a director of design at a company. And she's like, I've never been more miserable in my life. And I was like, what are you talking about? You have this great job. It's like you're leading this team. And she's like, well, I'm not doing any of what I loved. I love talking to customers and like develop and, and coming up with actual design solutions and presenting that to a client and being the hero. And I don't get to do that anymore. I have to like you know, work with a team and there's all these like stupid management issues that come up constantly. And none of it is what I started, you know, life uh, wanting to do this for. And my so aunt, why did, what? why make the change? Well, she actually decided to like quit her job and go back to doing uh, yeah. independent work. And I think that that's absolutely But why right did decision. she do the job? In the first place? Because the, like yeah. what we were talking about earlier, which is this is kind of like, there are these pathways that present themselves to you and you're supposed to just take the next step, right? I'm at this point in my career now too where I've reached the maximum number of steps in management and the opportunity is actually reopened for me to like do less management, do more craft again, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I, it, it, that is the sort of gamification and staircase that is too tempting not to take the next uh, step on the staircase. Well, it's also though how you scale your time in theory. Because if you got really good, if you get really good at management and operations, you know you can theoretically do ten times more, hundred times yeah. more, a thousand times more. But I think it's not well, the only way to think about it. Well, one of the ways to look at it is uh, you have a lot of work to do. And then there's the longer body of work, um, and that you have to f see what fits your personality. So when you compare Marcel Duchamp and Andy Warhol, one is this European upper class man who had a stipend from his parents, so didn't really have to work for money ever in his life. Mm -hmm. And he always made fun of other artists who fall into the trap of repetition and all they do is they get hooked into this painting thing and they make the same painting their whole life and they have this work mentality which he thinks is kind of distraction from the actual ideas and if they just sat down in a chair and thought for a while the work would be more interesting mm -hmm. and sort of the dandy uh, snobbery aristocratic point of view I'm, I'm not a worker I'm a thinker yeah and then you have Andy Warhol, who came from Eastern European immigrants coming to the U.S. and work hard or die and uh, make as much as possible, be both a commercial artist and a fine artist, uh, start a factory to make paintings so you can make more of them, uh, repeat them, sell them at the largest quantity, get more clients, do commercial projects, etc., and just maximal output. And I feel like in the brain space of anyone growing up with art, they're pretty equal in impact. Like, they both have a very strong position. Mm -hmm. So, they're two very different uses of time, 
uh, it, it, one is like someone playing chess, uh, smoking a cigar, and letting dust fall on the floor, and that's the yeah. artwork. And the other one is the American entrepreneurial artist. Uh, let's get the start a newspaper. Let's start making movies and explore everything. But they they both kind of explored every medium. Yeah, and I they both are, are, yeah. are, are, are they both are artists that whenever you ha are you if you're curating an exhibition, whatever the topic, you'll find that they have a work that relates to that exhibition. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think one of the things to imagine is like, so that management thing where I was like, hey, people are just going to be miserable as managers. I actually was a manager for quite a while and not miserable. And the way I made it less miserable was by thinking of the team as a product that I was designing, right? Um, and so I think you have to think about where, what you actually want, what you actually do. So as a designer, do I actually push pixels around? Is that what makes me happy or brings me energy? Or is it thinking through the concept that's really exciting for me? Or is it thinking about strategy, right? Like there are all these different things that we do kind of subconsciously. And what I obviously like love is the idea or the concept. And so anything where I can think conceptually about things, I'm, I'm game until it's done. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, what's the next thing? I, I need a new yeah. idea. So um, I was able to make it work for a little while before it was like, not this again. Like, <laughs> I already solved this. What, what's, so what's funny to me is that internet art seems like the most efficient distribution for art and it, environmentally friendly. You don't have to create stuff and use chemicals and whatever. Yeah. And it seemed like a very logical place for conceptual art. Yeah. But for some reason, it didn't go that way. And still, um, a lot of conceptual artists and, and political artists who are idea-based still focus mostly on the exhibition and not on the internet. Yeah, I like, mean, you and I I, 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 I think I tweeted once, like, hey, why are Hita Stiles movies not available for free on the internet? And she replied, I think they are. And then, like, <laughs> 10 minutes later, she replied, oh, I, I guess I haven't updated the links and etc. I understand, like, if the Venice Biennial is calling, then the internet is not so important. But when you think about it as a time management uh, strategy is a, she's a very political didactic artist and she wants people to see the movies and learn from them. Mm -hmm. So then it seems like why even bother with a physical space where most people who you want to reach can't afford to even go there. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you could imagine is like a hybrid approach where like, you know, say you're a gym instructor and no, but this, this is the time management thing with the hybrid approach that I'm not so sure because I think the hybrid approach um, I, I'm not sure what you were saying. Well, this is a yeah, very me, big let, interruption, but uh, <laughs> let me get the concept I, out before you critique it. Yeah. Like in concept, say you're you're like a, a gym coach and you're like great at one to one training, right? That's your business. You're in the business of one to one training. Your craft is I'm a personal trainer, right? Okay, you eventually maximize your eight hours a day, and you can only have like eight clients to do a good job of it. If you had any more clients, you're doing a worse job, and you attract you know, fewer lower paying clients, and that's not what you want, right? So eventually you get to this, I have a few high paying, high quality clients I love to work with, they love to work with me. Okay, I've hit a cap. What do I do? Yeah, I have to go yeah, find some, so many hours in right, a day, I could maybe try and find someone as good as me. But then I'm saying, actually, the brands built around me. So then there's, I can't really say that because like, that doesn't make any sense. Like I am me, I'm the best. So uh, what else do I have that I could do? Okay, well, what I could do is I could create like, so a video version of this or a group version of this that's different from the first product but stands on its own so like the Hita sterile example resonates with me it's like i could create a i could create an online version 
where I'm not, you don't get any personalized attention from me, but you get some of my best big ideas in a way that's easy and totally free for you to consume. And then I, what I would do with that is it would be like kind of my resiliency strategy. Maybe it costs you like, maybe I put a small price tag on some additional content, but maybe it's also like a way that if I lose a client, you know, I have this pool of people that are always, you know, ready and willing to jump in and take that extra slot. So I earn and it, a little yeah. bit more revenue and but it, more I think both both the the fitness trainer and Hito Stell, they both get more joy out of the physical exhibition. Yeah, that's the key. The one on one. So sure. Yeah, it, it's it's just more fun and and just recording videos and not having a direct uh, relationship with your trainee. Well, that's kind of no, I think you're right. Yeah, I don't want to get this because the the very dangerous thing here is that we descend into different business models (laughs) for time management, which you warned us of at the outset. So maybe this is also a way to get start to get into the conversation around creativity and focus and and why that's so, um, so important. So let's see the the other thing. Well, I don't know. At what point do we want to assume that like, you know, you don't want to scale your time. You just want to improve your efficiency within the slot of time, right? Those are the two options you have. One scale, the other improve efficiency. Well, yeah. When, when you think of uh, an artist like Andy Warhol, which he became a celebrity and a media house and a publisher and a filmmaker and just do as much as possible at the same time and attract talent and just have managing a band and making paintings and doing commissioned portraits, just everything. And the other extreme is maybe a painter like Morandi, where he just made the same still life his whole year from his parents' house mm-hmm. and never traveled and just make still lives over and over again. Uh, I don't think he felt like there was not a... a when, when, you're, when you're making work, this is maybe to the question of intent and the idea of focus. <laughs> Let's actually get back to the question. Yeah, yeah. but if, if, if really the point is... like. Um, You've you've done uh, still life drawing in art school or uh, live drawing? Yeah, yeah, I've done. Well, actually, I skipped that section in art school, but I've done life drawing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a big part of drawing is to turn off the brain, so yep. to to create a shorter line from the eyeball to the hand without going through the brain first. Yep. Because you don't want to draw what you think a tree looks like. You want to look at the tree with fresh eyes, like you've never seen it before. Yep. Um. When you're doing that, you're not thinking, I need to draw these as fast as possible. That's not the point. The point is to get to a point of focus as a meditative practice, which is that the result is not even important. It's it's important for you to observe without judgment and without thinking. And so very close to meditation. It's true. So then when you get to the idea of focus and time management, if you think that that for your practice, like for Warhol, maybe that was not so important. Or he did that early in his life. And if Inton is like, well, when I'm focused, the best work comes out, then you shape everything else around it and say like, okay, for these four hours in the day, my phone is turned off. Uh, no one can reach me. And it's not that then you have less time. Like if the work becomes better, you're more valuable and then everything else falls into place and you fix the little stuff later. Mm-hmm. At the, I don't know if, if, if I'm explaining it clearly, but... Uh, no, no, I think you are. I mean, like with, with Inton, you know, I had questions around like if I have a to-do list versus just blocking sections of time. I think that, you know, first of all, when I'm under time crunch, I have to have a to-do list 
but it's usually like that's not where I start. Like I don't let's just talk about like from my own experience if I have a big project, let's say it's an art project or maybe it's a major new product innovation. I don't start it's it would be ridiculous actually to start with a to-do list <laughs> because part of the exploration process is uh, unstructured intentionally. Designers always draw this like squiggly line when they're trying to describe design to non-designers and I I kind of hate it because it's you know the other drawing that they draw is more accurate, which is the, the the quote unquote double diamond, which is like a process of exploration then decision making, right? Exploration then decision making, and those decision points might come at certain times, and you have to kind of be satisfied with it not being perfect at that juncture. But you really need, in my experience, like time upfront where you don't know what you're going to do exactly. You have rough areas you want to explore. And where you are free to explore even the kind of, I know it's cliche, but like some of the worst ideas, right? Um, and, and yeah, look at how it's other interesting what you're things. saying. So, so basically, uh, it, Google has this myth of the 20% time. I think that's kind of what you're talking about. No, not really, because... Th- that, like that the Friday where you experiment on the something? The problem with 20% time is I've seen it. We have it at FreshBooks, too. It doesn't work when you have a deadline-driven culture because everyone's running off their to-do list. Yeah, They're like, yeah. Uh, well, if I take 20%, I'll never get through the to-do list because the to-do list is already too long. And one of the biggest problems in management is the boss who gives you too many areas of focus, right? When all performance studies, yeah, everything yeah, yeah. anyone's ever looked at shows that, like, fewer really focused tasks um, result in way higher uh, productivity and results yeah, yeah. than than, so many, than multitasking. I, I want to get one thing out of the way. If we say that something works for us, yeah. it doesn't mean that we think that our method is the best and that we are the best at creative work. So no. I, I just want to say that so I don't sound like my method the is the only method. Yeah, but... Uh, When you think about it, for me, the core problem with time management is the fear of boredom. Hmm. So I think anyone has the opportunity to put aside four days a month. I think anyone could say no to family gatherings and say, for four days a month, I'm going to write poetry or a sketch or whatever. But it's very scary to sit in a room with a sketchbook and wait for ideas to come. And I think... uh, Jeff Koons, I always talk about him, but he talks a lot about the removal of anxiety. So it, putting the most banal thing in the museum and saying that that is also valid. And part of it is like accepting that anything can be art and that uh, any walk of life can be mm-hmm. accepted into the art. But what I'm trying to say is you're sitting there, you're sketching, and you're like, ah, I don't know if this is good enough. I don't know if I'm good enough. Yeah. I don't know. And, and this constant voice, I think that's what time management is about because uh, I love your point because I think yeah. we're as creative people and in Tom probably feels the same way maybe he doesn't but like there's often this precipice where you're given a new assignment you get the new brief right or you have the new idea and there's this precipice where like halfway through you're like I don't think I'm gonna make it like I, yeah I'm yeah. not making oh, any progress fuck, I don't have any ideas I'm back to yeah. where I started this is, I'm never, like, where is this breakthrough they promised me, right? <laughs> like, yeah. And the I put of, the cappuccino on the table and the idea is still not here. Yeah, like, what what's going on here? Actually, I'm working yeah. on something at I work made right the, now. I made the funny, funky foam on top of the bowl and it, it's still not, yeah. Yeah, and like, but, yeah. But the, um, I think one thing I would recommend to anyone, whether they're an architect or a filmmaker or whatever, is is to do the work before the assignment. 
do that work? Well, this is one thing that no, a lot, to do the work, whatever the work is, like do yeah. as much as possible before you have a client. Yeah, and then give yourself some. Well, I, I was going to say that's interesting. That's what school has always been. From uh, like a reason to do your MFA is because, or a reason to go to design school or whatever, or go to school is to buy yourself some time to think. <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a very it's expensive way to buy yourself time. However, yeah. like um, one of the things you're surrounded with is like material that might spark, you know, kind of connections even that you don't expect, right? Like the thing well, yeah. is there's no map, right? Like this is the, the But my, my teachers literally they would call these library items and you have to build a library. Mm. And and what they mean I think in software it's quite common to have a library box filled with sound effects or stock video or whatever. Yeah. And the thing I realized as I was developing libraries, I'm like, oh, I'm doing some motion studies. What, how does that feel? I'm doing some color studies. And then you find out that those library items are works on their own. Yep. Like, oh, I don't need a later context to fit this in. But I'll go one step further. I think that you also start to build a library of skills or tricks the way I might think of them personally, where it's like, oh, yeah, I know. I've got that drop shadow trick in my backpack. Back, you know, my backpack, I can pull that out and that's going to like get it into this. Ter- a lot of people will start to use these tricks. What, what's interesting about building up a library of like technique based tricks is eventually that adds up to a personal style. And um, I, you know, I think we too easily discount that as the dot painting kind of thing that you were talking about earlier. More often than not, these are like creative shortcuts that you use to get you past the hump of self-doubt, right? To a a place where it's like, okay. And also they train you to make better decisions because you've already went through a few steps. Yeah, they're like patterns, right? They're like, okay, like I'm going to package this pattern. Or like learning a language. Yeah. Yeah. In computer programming, you would call it object-oriented programming. But this is the concept is really like object oriented creativity so like what are the little modules that i can put together and i often do this as like a form of rapid prototyping in my creative career if you want to take like language from the tech sector but it's like what little things do i have on the shelf that i can pull together to see if this might work not to get to the final project though sometimes i've done that but just to get to something that might work so i can look at it and respond to it and the faster i can get there and my this is my this is again my personal experience the faster I can like validate or invalidate, this is, you know, this is the right approach or I have to go, I have to go even deeper, go, you know, but the, yeah. the most anxious I've, I am or whenever I'm like, I've made the biggest, you, you can only do this a few times in your career and we should bring it up. But like, <clears throat> if you don't do that, you're descending down what could be a very, very deep well and it's worth it. It's totally worth it. But to your point, like these are deep research wells in, in computer programming, they call them spikes. And there's spikes of activity of great anxiety. Like, say you have a new project and a deadline, and you have to learn a new technique. Like, I remember I had a VR project I had to deliver. And I was like, shit, none of the tools that I use, none of the tricks that I have are going to (laughs) work. So I have to go out and, like, learn a whole new set of software. And I have to somehow, like, understand that software well enough to know what it's capable of so that I can, like, critique it conceptually. I had a lot of anxiety. The last time that happened in a project... Um, I remember I didn't sleep for like weeks because it's just like... When was this? Um, well, actually, it happened with a VR project. That was maybe like three or four years ago. And then before that, this I did a project called the U Museum where it was like banner ad retargeting. And yeah. And yeah. there was a lot of like backend complexity and like connecting Google um, Analytics to like some front end stuff. And I thought I had to do more than I ended up doing. But because I didn't have familiarity with the tools... 
it, the anxiety was like craft based, which is like, imagine you gave me a blowtorch and you're like, Jeremy, start welding this ship together. <laughs> it's like, but do I don't you always program it yourself. Well, this is one of my problems. Um, and maybe this is like a good thing for our listeners to hear, which is like, personally, I subscribe to the kind of Bauhaus way of thinking that I need to understand the material to, to like, kind of like be honest with it and to expose its truth. So I personally enjoy what I just described as extremely anxious um, because I might want to critique VR if I don't actually understand how VR functions, to, like in terms of creative pipeline, I don't think I can do a very good job of critiquing it. So that's just my process. But um, I know yeah. that you have had tremendous success like hiring out or working with a few good people and not worrying about the technology. Yeah, it, I... I think there's a, an argument for both ways. I, I don't think I don't think every painter has to paint his own his or her own paintings. I don't think every musician has to know the ins and outs of every amp and microphone. I don't think a photographer needs to know how an image signal processor works to make an interesting photo. Uh, but there are people who like to mess with image signal processors and make something custom and you know, but yeah. I think if you look at the history of photography, there's tons of people who never really understood the true chemical reaction that happened when they exposed the photo and, and how the molecules moved. I, I don't know how much you have to know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I know it usually. Like, I, I think there are snapshot-style photographers who just always brought their film to a drugstore and had the standard exposure, and that's what made it interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think like one of the things that I used to do when I was a freelancer, though, is like anytime I had a new job that required like a new technique, I was like, okay, great. Like I'm going to get paid to learn how to do this. But it yeah. does it yeah. does definitely add a little bit of additional pressure because now you got to like time manage for learning plus delivery. Um, and it, it came from my dad, honestly. He was like at a young age, he's like, Jeremy, never say no to a job. Um, and in art that has been like, never say no to an exhibition opportunity or like, if you mm. get a big grant or something, don't say yeah, no. Yeah, for me, it's the opposite. My parents are always like, <laughs> why do people work so much? People should work less. Yeah. Well, for me, it was always a learning opportunity. And if you've done it before, you know, you might not say uh, yes again, mm. but, um, yeah, I looked at we, it. We way. were talking about what we did on New Year's Eve, both. We were both uh, doing puzzles. Oh yeah. Yeah. Puzzles. Because like. when a workaholic uh, sits down to relax, he needs another task. <laughs> yeah, give me a, give me something I can, yeah, just like figure Try out a new strategy. Try to do it as efficient for. as possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but yeah. It, the the efficiency thing is very funny uh, when you think of time management because the the motive of software is always find a way to do it more efficient with less resources. Except that software so is if, like not efficient anymore, right? Because it's so no, cluttered. No. So I remember Tim Ferriss reading some article about speed reading and like, oh, read diagonally across the page and then you read three times faster and whatever. And then you almost get to the point where it's like, how to make love faster, how to eat faster, chew twice as fast so you don't even taste your food. <laughs> it's like, what's the point? Yeah. And, and so I think this all comes from what you were saying, the Renaissance man is like, oh, I want to be good at everything. I want to do a triathlon, but I also want to be a chef, but I also want to be skinny, but I also want to be an expert at haircutting and et cetera. And so if, if that's your decision, then you're not going to have enough time. Yeah. 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 I think, but the, I think the art that I'm interested in deals a lot with boredom and I think boredom is a very, um, mm -hmm. 
It, it, it's funny saying it, but boredom is very interesting or very controversial, maybe. Well, here's a straight up uh, question for you, you know, because um, the question of like to-do lists is, in, is, in, is embedded in Anton's question. Like, oh, yeah. Do you have like, I do a to-do use list? to-do lists. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, what does it look like? Like, you know, wake uh, it's up. It's the, the Apple coffee. Notes app, or the, the, the one that's on iOS and Mac. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I have a to-do list and it, one of them is like, I'm trying to find a good lenticular printer and I've had some problems with, and so that's one word, lenticulars. And the other one is plexi, because I'm working with plexiglass. And the other one is an exhibition I'm working on. And so there's maybe seven items on there, and then the day starts, and I kind of see, like, which one do I focus on now? Mm-hmm. So you don't pre-block and your cl- calendar, like you don't have, like, blocks in your calendar? Like no, no, no. An hour and of plexi, an hour of... No, 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 no. And then I just work on it, but the the... Email inbox is also kind of a to-do list, so there'll be four or five emails in there in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then work through those or decide. But the, well, the you're doing to-do a Tim list, Ferriss thing. That you're batching your email, so you're doing batching at that point, right? Yeah, but mm-hmm. the, the, the to-do list kind of work is not actually work. That's more like um, cleaning up. So when I'm doing that, I'm just calling a manufacturer. That's not creative work. It's administrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so whenever I have time, the best is if I just sit down in the morning and sketch right away. So, but yeah. I, I always postpone the creative work by doing uh, administrative work because it's because of that failure, fear of failure. And why don't you outsource the administrative work to like an artist assistant or something like that? I don't think it would save time for me. Because mm-hmm. you'd have to manage Cause, them. Well, it, it, like, it's just the extra person to ask, hey... Does this look good? Someone asking me, does the result look good? And then right. they're like, hey, Raphael, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I mean, it, it, it's also, I think this year has been a bit different, but but overall, normally, I have way too much time on my hands. So my problem of time management is a bit the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's how do I deal with the emptiness, not like how do I deal with too many tasks? Yeah, I feel like you're emblematic of someone who really figured out how to do what I, you know, do less and obsess. So, like the because your your practice is so refined to the point where you have set up a, a few series. I, but it's of, not that refined because really? I'm doing a lot. Of, it, 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 um, you don't. I'm do doing a lot of different stuff. Yeah. No, well, I, I I was thinking of it from the standpoint of like you build a new series, and then you're really focused on that for a period of time, just knowing you, right? And the other ones are still showing, right? Or yeah. you might do iterations on them, but you're not thinking about them a lot. Like when you've generated and we've talked about a new idea, like say it's your haikus or the plexi stuff that you're doing now, like for a good 12 months, I'm like, hey, what, what are you working on? What's going on? And you're like, oh, yeah, like I'm just trying to find the perfect plexiglass supplier. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. yeah, like I've got to go figure out the right thread for this um, to get yeah, to yeah. this particular zenith that I'm trying to reach with my carpets, right? So until you've got that you don't you're not finished right yeah Um, and that takes you a good 12 to 18 months and you've got that product cycle kind of figured out yeah Um, but i i I think um that you know it it, maybe now the word privilege comes in but uh i've had financial support from the netherlands but i've also had odd jobs before that but you need that breathing Uh, room i i don't think it's it's wrong for you to say it's not privilege here's the thing we just talked about how school it's really important. It's a privilege to go to school and have the time to do that, right? It's also the privilege to create some sort of a 
breathing space. And this is like something that I'm, you know, you asked me like, why do you have a day job? Is it just because you enjoy it? I actually, it's, it's a little bit of that, but it's all, and it's informed my career a great deal, but it's also, I really wanted to create breathing room and the breathing room I wanted to create was like financial because what I was finding is like, I was taking too many freelance jobs and the more freelance mm. jobs I took, the less time I had for my creative practice. Yeah, yeah. And I, so I had no way to structure my time. The full-time job gave me this like view, like, and it's not full-time. I negotiated four days a week, but it gave me like, okay, well, four days a week are just for earning money. And then these other three days a week are going to be for creative expression. Yeah. So I, I do believe in that kind of uh, clear division. So it's maybe the same way with food, where if you just say, oh, I'll just have a little bit less of the birthday cake, that mm-hmm. doesn't work. But when you say, oh, I'm not having sugar, it's easier. So... Uh, in yeah. the same way with with uh, work for money and work for yourself, if you say, "Oh, I do that Monday through Thursday, and then uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is really for me," that makes it easier than to just say, "I'll do a little bit in between." Yeah, and I think other people might have structured it differently. They'd say, "Like, actually, I'm gonna, I'm really focused on getting my art practice to be something that I can monetize, <clears throat> and I'm going to spend two days a week trying to figure that out." Right, and then eventually yeah. they would they would probably figure something out, right? Um, but if you don't like have those priorities kind of like set and you don't have that awareness, like I was just like very aware that my practice was like going to be really hard to monetize because I'd tried for yeah. 10 years. Like, and you know, in the time since then, I'm, I'm very glad I made that decision because, but, it, but what's, what's interesting to me is that you, uh, maybe this is a good question for a lot of listeners. Uh, I think at some point I was pretty broke and I was trying to find a day job, like sort of being, a. Not a designer, but someone who finishes production work. Yeah. And I said, oh, I just need three days a week. I don't need that much money. Yeah. But it's very inefficient for an employer to have a part-time <laughs> employee. Yeah. So they're like, we want you five days. And I'm like, no, I just, you know, I don't need to make a million. If I work three days a week, it's fine. Yeah. And they're like, and, no, it's not good enough. And that's kind of hard with the day job to find that one where it's reliable and recurring, but not full time. Yeah, I've had to push back over the years on my four days a week. And I'm, and it kind of goes through these cycles. And I met that cycle again, where I'm like, you know what, I have to get rid of a bunch of jobs at work to get back to the the four day a week kind of model. Because yeah. even four days a week, it ends up being three days a week, because there's the like, ramp up, ramp down kind of thing. So um, but, but uh, it, it, what I was trying to say is that, um, You've been saving, you've been paying off things, etc. So you're kind of making more money than you need. Yeah, th- th- yeah. So in, yeah. It, theoretically, you could work thirty percent less and earn thirty percent less, but that's not how. But therein the lies works. my point. Like my point yeah. is, like if I didn't have a buffer, if everything was down to a razor's edge, <laughs> then like I wouldn't be able to be creative. Like, but let let's say you need a buffer that you you need to know if you lose your job, you're okay for a year. Yes, so I ha- I've always had that. I've had that since I was yeah. twenty. Yeah. Yeah, so you've gotten there, and and the buffer increases as your lifestyle increases. Yes, uh, but still, I feel like you've gone past that more than you need, and so mm. theoretically, you could pare down the day job, but that's uh, that's just not how jobs work. Well, I'm in the process of doing that, and I and I just described you know someone else that's done that in in my life, uh, another designer friend of mine. I think quite a few people go through these stages in life, and I think it's important to know that like. You know, I never thought, yeah, I didn't think at 40, I would start to like restructure or it's called like, some people say redesign my life, right? Like, but at any point you can come in and say like, okay, let's redesign this. The reason I say that is because I've worked as a manager where I've helped people redesign their, their lives at work. 
And in few cases, I've helped people choose not to work anymore. Um, and it's obvious, like when you're really getting close to someone, you're getting to know them, that if they're unhappy, there's something that's not really, you know, it, it's it's about them and about designing something that works for them because they've tried to please everyone else and it's still not working for them, right? So, yeah, I, it, I, but it might also be self doubt. But it's like, well, there are a lot the of thing I factors, the thing right? I want to do for myself and that I would have to say no to a lot of people and hurt their feelings. Yeah. Is that thing really good enough for those sacrifices? I use a very simple, you know, analogy just to get it out on the table, which is like you're cooking dinner. You have four burners on your stove. One of the burners is friends and family. One of the burners is work. You know, one of the work burners is maybe like, enter, you know, I don't know uh, what else there is, actually. Downtime. <laughs> downtime. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I forgot downtime. Sports. Yeah, sure. Whatever they are. But Health. You, you're yeah. going to make a great meal. Now, you can you can only use the four burners. That doesn't mean that you can't take things off and put them back on. Say I need to cook a sauce later on. Maybe I'm finished cooking the mushrooms. And you can think of your life as a series of like dinner parties where you're taking things on and off the burner. But if you don't have an awareness of those burners, you'll, you know, quote unquote, burn out. Right. So, yeah, I just think. And, and so the, the maybe the 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 American or capitalist, whatever approach is just get a second stove and a third stove and then hire some people to stand next to all three stoves. And Well, what I've literally done is sat, sat down with people. I draw like four circles. I say like, put the things that are important to you in each of these circles and then tell me, you know, what's not there. And then let's manage our way out of that stuff. Right. Um, and managing your way out of it could be actually using some of the money that you have or time to like create systems or hire people that do that work. Um, it, it's really hard to do it on your own though. So I always think like you need a buddy to help you with this because um, it, like it's, it's lonely to say to yourself like, because it feels like failure, right? Like, oh, I can't be there for my friends because I've decided that art is really important or something like that, right? Like, it, like you need someone to say like, actually, you know, you, this is really important to you. You're going to have to say no to friends for a little while. Yeah, I've I found I've been very surprised with other artists um, that they're so busy. So that's always been something in my life where I just wasn't that busy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not friends with uh, Murakami or some artist who's producing at that level. So I don't know how that works. You know, I'm, I'm sure okay. he's pretty busy. Studio but staff, yeah. yeah, but the friends we have that I know, their output is not that gigantuous and is similar to mine, and they're always so overwhelmed. And I'm like, you're not making that much. What are you talking about? Yeah. So, and these are all people who are full-time artists who uh, don't well, have a day job. Let's get to but, the dirty truth then, which is like, okay, once you've done that burner work, how are you actually honestly spending your time, right? And I, because I know you've installed all kinds of like software on your computer to prevent you from being on social media. Like, let's talk a little bit about like being honest to yourself and what you want to yeah. this is not to shame our audience but no but i think it's very similar <clears throat> to eating where if you want to be healthier the first step is to work on the offerings around you mm-hmm. like what's available in the fridge what's in your cupboard that's right so if if you stock your fridge with the uh, candy and ice cream and then uh, but there's also a, a bowl of uh, salad you know yeah, it's better to not even have the thing in front of you. I think what what's unfair and unspoken is that there are some people, 
for which like let's take say your work is all on your computer and you have a you know problem with Facebook I will just say like for some people including myself I am not at all addicted to Facebook and I can't seem to to get addicted to it so it's of little interest to me and therefore it's not a distraction right that doesn't mean that I don't get distracted um on my computer I, I think helping people is your distraction yeah so one of the distractions I might have actually yeah, is like if someone's asking me for help I'll definitely jump in or I actually just add a lot more I have too many items like too many work items but like distraction is not one of the things because I'm always like you know I'm trying to finish cyberpunk 27th like the video <laughs> game right now and I just like can't I'm, I'm always like well I could you know, work on this interesting project, or I could go into cyberpunk and like deliver this package. I'm like, hmm, this interesting project seems like better than delivering the package in cyberpunk. Like, yeah, the 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 diversion is like lesser than the than the, the, the problem in the first place. Anyway, but like you, I, you've installed like a bunch of software to like focus your work, your work uh, computer, right? Or how like can you describe how you get up in the morning, how you get to that focus state? Um, well. When I get up, it's kind of a mess now because we have a dog, so everything's confusing. Um, but the 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 social software it's called Self Control. Okay. And it, it's a desktop like a app on the Mac. I think oh. Steve Lambert worked on it. So it's an OS level product. It's an OS level product, and it's cool because you blacklist a bunch of domain names, so it will restrict anything from that domain name. So I think I even restricted a few stores that use Spotify, uh, Shopify and now it just blocks all Shopify websites. So whenever I turn it on, you say the, the time that you want it turned on and then it blocks it at the system level and even if you reboot your computer, you can't access those websites. It really has to go through the time. Mm. So it was a bit scary to use at first. I'm like, oh, if something goes wrong, I'll never be able to go to those domains. You'll never be able to visit any of my websites, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, but it's it's tricky because you'll turn it on, but then uh, you need to post something on social media for work, and so it, it seeps into your work too. So you're like, oh, uh, today I won't turn on the filter because I needed. I'm gonna do some posts for work, and mm. then you're gonna check them, and then there's like, oh, there's a funny movie. Oh, there's another funny movie. Well, here's and an interesting that, idea, so. which is like, um, like why not have different devices for you know for different things donald norman had this idea of like the information appliance which was the foundation for ios which i find really ironic you know we spend so much time on our phones but the original premise he wrote this book called the invisible computer was that like the computers were far too distracting like windows based computers and when i say windows i mean like the same analogy that's in mac os right we have all these layers stacked on top of each other. So what we, you know, what would be much more usable and functional would be single-use applications that take over the whole screen. Um, and multitasking was actually like not so, even Steve Jobs was really kind of like afraid of an app store or something like that because he's like, no, this should be a focused device with very set functions that work well, and you only do one thing at a time. Um, and then of course now like our phones are viewed as these great distraction <laughs> devices, and we've talked about this a bit on the podcast in earlier episodes, like. It was new UI conventions, like infinite yeah. scroll is probably the but, worst invention for time management. Yeah, I think the phone is a good example because I'll block everything on the desktop yep. uh, or my laptop and then go downstairs and sit with the sketchbook and listen to a podcast or whatever on my phone while I'm sketching or listen to music. But then, oh, a thought comes up and it's like, oh, what does that drawing look like of that other person? You look it up and then there's an interview with the artist and, be, and you go down the rabbit hole again. And 
iOS doesn't allow for an app like this that blocks domain names at a system level mm-hmm. unless you switch to a VPN. Um, I don't think it's... I think uh, iOS does have the screen time limitation. But to me, all the, these tools are secondary to the fear of failure because mm-hmm. it's really... When I sit down, uh, I get impatient, and like after 10 minutes, I have still no idea. And like, what if you have to wait the whole day for an idea? You have to really be okay with that. But inherent in your so, position is that the idea is somewhere in your subconscious, and you just have to like let it surface. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is interesting. That's how I work. That's not how everyone works. Well, but yeah, some people do uh, use a different device than their computer to get there. They use like a sketchbook. Um, yeah, that's what I do. Okay, so you sit with your sketchbook and you doodle yeah. or do you draw? You yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I've tried uh, drawing on the iPad, but uh, I found that the sketchbook is more comfortable and faster, flipping pages. And So I, so I used to do that, but uh, it really favored, I found, a visual practice. And yeah, my practice yeah. is more conceptual. So what I've taken to doing now is I write. Um, so I sit down in like Google Docs with a blank page. And I just start writing an argument. Um, but what about your performances when you want an idea for that? I write. Yeah. So what I'll okay. do is I'll, and I use a design thinking framework from product design. And I just like start to write, okay, what's the problem? You know, what's the solution? Like, you know, yeah, what are yeah. the competitors? And I, and I kind of write it uh, as, a, as a script because it's just, I think that way. Um, but if I'm writing... I'm usually if I'm mixing that with some doing some like craft based work or visual work or like research, the writing is where it all crystallizes. And I, I was a huge. But how long person. do you sit? Um, like the last time I did this was last weekend, and I sat for two hours to write a concept yeah. for a digital sculpture. And I had previously done a lot of reading, like just online. I was interested because I had to do a digital sculpture for a sculpture park in um, in Germany. And uh, specifically, I, I wanted to understand the, like the city that it was in a little bit better. What was the art history of that place and stuff? So I had to do all of that research first, and then I had to sit on that and think about it. And then I had to like come back and then write. Okay, well, what does that mean? I, if I don't write it, I can't get to the argument. Without an argument, there's no concept. Um, so that's where I've ended up. But I used yeah. to be a sketchbook aficionado. It's just I it wasn't efficient because. I might write, in that case, not a lot, like a thousand words, but it you. doesn't fit in a sketchbook. Yeah, yeah. But the the um, the thing I really struggle with is uh, the sort of being impatient. And I think, mm-hmm. so if, if you set aside two hours, but the, the, there's a famous scene in Seinfeld where they decide to make the sitcom, George and Jerry, and it's a sort of a meta storyline of them actually making the show about nothing. Yeah. And they're sitting down and they're waiting for the deal. I was like, oh, you want some popcorn? I'll make some popcorn. And they keep coming up with excuses not to sit down. <laughs> well, it gets you to this point. And where, I, I think know. that's maybe the question to Inton and the question about focus, that it's really the removal of anxiety. Like, it's okay to sit for six hours and nothing happened. Well, I thought, yeah, it, like, you know, there are these, once you get down to this level, there are a lot of snake oil salesmen selling you things like the Pomodoro technique or, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, crazy eights, which is an ideation exercise where you like eight ideas in eight minutes. So there, once you get down to this level, there's like, t- once you decide, Hey, I'm going to focus on this. There are tons of little techniques you can use. I, I, at the end of the day though, you probably know yourself better than these techniques know you. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, maybe, it's, maybe yeah. It's, it's, it's very similar to the, if you're managing software on your computer and then, uh, or on your, 
Let's say you're organizing your home screen on the iPhone and you have all these tricks to make automatic drawers that fill the apps and organize them by category. And maybe there's a smart stack that shows you the appropriate app at the right time. Yeah. But if you didn't have so many apps to begin with, like the original iPhone... Yeah, you wouldn't have that problem. You don't have... And maybe the the iPhone is notoriously bad at uh, helping you organize your home screen. It's really mm. kind of ridiculous. It's almost like a video game. It's so hard. And part of it is must be when they started the iPhone, they're like, yeah, there's about 12 apps that you need, and you can get yeah. most of it done. I guarantee you that that's what it was. It was not designed to scale. I Having design systems similar uh, to it... Um, like FreshBooks, we originally designed it, like the new version of it, to be very limited in scope on purpose to help people get what was most important to them done. What happens over time, though, is like, you know, what's happened to software, if we just get meta for a second, is that incrementalism and, you know, the con- bloatware, which was a 90s problem, is now now exists in all online software as well. And that exists because of you know number like SaaS metrics like trying to get the ARPU average revenue per user to be higher, you have to add or bolt on new features into products to get people to pay more. But they're not really that successful. I was talking to a friend and he said, you know what, we just need you need to make create more products, not add on to existing mm. products, um, because probably a product's utility reaches a point where it's a microwave oven and no one's using anything beyond the popcorn timer, you know, like, and you just need to create like another machine that's maybe like for grilling steaks yeah, for people yeah. who really want to get specific. About. The the other side of the coin I wanted to mention is that, uh, over the last few years, uh, Austin Lee is a, a good friend that I spend a lot of time with. We both live in the same city and, uh, it's been really refreshing seeing how he works because he's a painter, but sort of related to the screen. So he sketches on the computer in 3D and uses those compositions as paintings. And I think we both are screen first and he's uh, canvas first, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of media artists think, okay, what's the idea and what's the best representation of the idea? And uh, therefore yeah. the work has to be this size, et cetera, et cetera, all these logical steps. <laughs> and he's more sort of intuitive of there is no formulaic ideal size for painting. Each painting is different and whatever feels best. And, yeah. uh, and, and also the idea of efficiency is like, well, I'm not really good at efficiency and, and the materials are super expensive and you have to get a studio and it's dangerous to your health. But what's important is the visual experience at the end. So yeah. everything else falls into place because you're not thinking about the process first and then something comes out and you're like, well, it's not exactly what I had in mind, but... Well, he's practicing like, no. what I would call like sense and respond, right? So he's like intuitively um, in flow, experiencing and kind of going through a series of or of infinite what if, like what if I did this or how could we do that? Yeah, right? yeah. And that's a very creative way of working that, you know, I think that's probably at the end of the day what Inton is doing and where he's doing his best work. Well, maybe maybe what we're getting at is that as if you're computer based, your uh, machine is so multifunctional. It's family, finance, practical things, art, everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you're a painter, it's very clear there's a physical space to make a mess. It's not even time; it's a physical space. So yeah. you're like, this is the space. It doesn't matter how much time I spend here, but I'm just gonna make a mess and and uh, constantly ev- evaluate every step. No, I, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I, I do believe it, it. We're in an interesting point for software, where like potentially VR applications and things like that might 
you know, kind of shift the paradigm to be spatial again and vers- versus like layered. They could go down this deep layering thing and go three dimensional, which would be even worse, like maximize space. But multitasking, it's so interesting, was viewed as have you ever, you know, if you read job descriptions, being great at multitasking is always listed. But there isn't that is just terrible management. There is no being great at multitasking. There is only p- potentially like suffering a little less than others, right? So being like great at suffering. Yeah, just like um, the co-working space, or the, or the open office is, uh, it's just a money saver. It's not really... Yeah, yeah. Let's not be ridiculous. Let's just call it for what it is. Like, yeah. obviously, like, you know, you if you could... Yeah, someone the- was calling the work from home experiment the live at work experiment. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and so, you know, there's a reason that like, People want I think their this is to be uncluttered. this is a very interesting angle because I think traditionally there was the separation, physical separation of different tasks. So cooking you do in the kitchen, working out you do at the gym, etc. And now it's all in the home. You, you know, like you're you're working in your office and there's something in the you're working at home and there's something baking in the oven and you get Kids on the peloton. Yeah, and like all these things that were separated before. So the question of Time management is then uh, uh, just like a, a Band-Aid on a huge uh, wound. Yeah, like I'm looking at my screen right now. I've got text messages from my family mixed with your talking to me about the podcast, an image of a puzzle that you were doing last night. Like I've got like books on productivity. I've got the Skype call open, the recording view. Like we're at a, an hour and six minutes. Like I've got the time. I've got the Wi-Fi, Bluetooth signal, you know, Dropbox status. <laughs> I've got like battery power at forty nine percent here. It's eleven. You have a cat in the room. Yeah, <laughs> like we have reached like dashboard overdrive kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, there's no shortage of data and distraction. So the questions become like, how do we how do we minimize or focus? I will this say, is, yeah. I put on music when I work, um, and I cannot work without it uh, really well. And um, I know a lot of people like this and you'd be like, well, why would you add more information? And it's not more information for some types of brains like mine, who I think are, I'm thinking like 10 steps ahead, 10 steps behind and maybe sideways. I need like to be, my sense is hundred percent overwhelmed before I can actually focus. And I think yeah. that, that that's different because people are always like, how can you work with a cluttered desk? Well, for me, a cluttered desk actually gives me great peace of mind. <laughs> Like I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it pushes me over. Yeah, I understand. Into I this understand. like noise space, um, and so I know that's a contradiction of everything we've but talked about. But there's a there's the, the legendary story that the Rolling Stones were a cover band, and at some point their manager said, "You guys need to write songs and take it to the next level." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." And they just were comfortable playing cover songs and uh, uh, living that life. And then at some point, he just locked Keith Richards and Mick Jagger in a room and, uh, like, literally locked the door. And they said, "You're not coming out until you have a song." Yeah, I think I would be happy in a room like surrounded by static on televisions or something like that, or just like, like t- thousands of blinking lights, maybe even, because it would. The way my brain works, that would allow me to focus on one thing. The end result is the same. I have to focus on one thing. Um, But the means by which you get there doesn't have to be the cliched, like, I need a Zen garden office kind of thing. And and I think for about 10 years, I only made websites and I had written down. I remembered every time I had the idea for the website, clearly. Mm -hmm. So I wrote down to see if there's a pattern. And if there was a pattern, then I could optimize to that. So, oh, maybe walks in nature or maybe swimming or maybe riding a bicycle or 
grocery shopping or whatever is and the only pattern I could find was boredom and it, very often that I would be in a train and out of battery on the my device or whatever and then you come up with an idea so well I'll, I'll share mine um, at, at work right now I'm working on something and my pattern is one that would make a, a lot of people cringe um, and if I can't have this I can't do good work but it's to do like literally thousands of versions of something and to share them with someone. And if that person doesn't mm. react to my thousands of versions, I'm basically like, I'm terrible at my job. <laughs> like, But I have to produce a lot of things. Um, and for me, it's like making a lot of things and throwing away what doesn't work um, that gets me to where, that, like that's the closest I've gotten. And it's not a great process. Like it's like a vomiting and editing process. I've heard photographers yeah, yeah. who do the same thing, but um the problem can be if you're working with other people, if they don't, if that's not how they work or they don't want to work your way, uh, then then you're in trouble. So, you know, it's different. Solo practice is different from team practice. Everyone is unique. And the good point here is like get to know yourself, I think, is the only is the only path forward and get to know what works and doesn't work for you based on, you know, your life's experience. But for Intan, I, I think like if task lists work for him, like he should do that. Right. Like if he's seeing performance, if they don't leave them behind are we just copying out here at the end what, <laughs> what no but i i do think it's an interesting question uh what that anyone could ask like what if you had a grant that was okay to live off for a year how would you design your life differently yeah yeah that's a good and question then, you wouldn't spend it then, all on facebook i don't think unless it was no your grant was and so so let's say that you i mean i've been there i've had all kinds of day jobs and i i think uh I, I was less productive or made less works at the time. So it, there is something uh, about the cycle of success of uh, once you get to full time, then things accelerate. Yeah, but at the same time, like less That's works. kind of unfair. Less yeah. works doesn't mean less uh, success. No. So you can make no, no. one great work a year. And I know lots of people like this. They get into this pattern, especially if you become a teacher as an artist too, like a lot of folks do then they don't act, they have even less time because they have like to manage a classroom they have sometimes a that's maybe it, yeah it's um, it's it, it's a thing i grew up uh my father is an art teacher and has always been both an artist and a teacher but he went to school to become an art teacher so the teaching i would say was 60 to 65 percent of of his uh, week mm -hmm. and he was also pretty good at fixing up houses so a lot of artists are good at real estate. Like They have a, a sense of space because of doing exhibitions, and they're kind of good with their hands, so they can affordably redo a building that's kind of other people might be scared of. Yeah, You know, there, there, there's like a, I don't know if in your surround. So I saw with my father both that he was into teaching and into fixing homes, and I thought, okay, I'll do the opposite. I'm not going to buy a home, and I'm not going to teach. Because that was time that he you felt he was wasting. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. not wasting, but I thought not for me. So um, those, I think there's been many moments where other people would have bought a house and fixed it up, and I was like, no, that's just going to be a distraction. But I think that's a great that's a great point, which is and maybe a good one to end on here, which is like the power of observation. So self observation and observe others, right? Like. Um, and that you have the power to redesign your life, hopefully, like a lot of people, you know, might not have that. But then, yeah. you know, some of the way you might structure your priorities is around how to get to a point where you can make some choices. But without choices, obviously, you can't redesign. If you can't redesign, you can't get to a position of great fulfillment and productivity. Productivity is only a factor of happiness. So like, you don't want to be productive on the wrong things. Yeah. 
And one of the things that, that is hard for me uh, in this time management thing is that I've been a full-time artist for a long time and I've had financial support from a country uh, that not everybody has that support. So it's it's hard. It's easy for me to say, yeah, just say fuck it and go for it. It, it. So I know it's not that easy for a lot of people, but I still think a lot of the same things apply. Like, oh, you don't have to opt in for more space if that costs you a lot of time or things like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I yeah, think belief, it, belief it, it, in, it, in one. In one what I'm trying to say is, it's very. I come from a a place that seems very easy but there's artists from all kinds of places that somehow make it work mm-hmm. so um, yeah. I think there are universal principles of distraction and, and what do you want out of life well hopefully we're two examples among yeah many we can bring forward some other examples um, in, in future work I will put show notes together again for the podcast just as like a a final note here because I think um, we've mentioned quite a few different um you know, different types of artists and different artists and different books and, and writers, like writers and tools. And tools. Yeah. So it'd be good to get those together for folks. Um, and I do believe, uh, I just want to say thank you for the question. Anton. this is one of those ones that yeah. to start us off. That's, you know, uh, a big one, especially for creative people. And well, if- I, I enjoy uh, answering people's questions because at some point we were starting to repeat ourselves. I, I think I was like, we should do a new episode. Maybe we should call it What is Art? And then I went through the archive and we had already done that. So. <laughs> but I think on time yeah. management, it is something that's quote unquote evergreen. But like you're, you know, we will be talking about this 100 years from now as well. Because again, it's one of those things like yeah. food, love. Uh, but I do think the unique the moment in time right now with everyone's working from home, it's especially difficult to focus. Yes. And if we can offer any help on that journey, it's to observe, listen to yourself and do what's right for you and your family and your loved ones. And, um, yeah. and eat more fast food. Yeah. Eat more. <laughs> yeah. Order out if you uh, can't, you know, cook on, if you don't only have four burners and you can't put cooking on there. Um, so, and don't feel bad about it because <laughs> everyone's yeah. struggling. Uh, so the, the call to action here is if you have a question, um, we will oh, yes, do a, we will yeah. do a terrible job answering it, just like we did today, uh, or we'll do our best. Is another way of putting it. And yeah. please um, send us your questions. Yeah, hopefully through the process we all learn a little bit more about each other. You you can record your questing, and or if you're uncomfortable with that, you can just uh, send a text or email or whatever. Try to reach us. Uh, oh, I'm gonna put our I'm gonna put an email on the website goodpointpodcast.com. I'll do that right now um, so yeah. that you don't have to struggle to find our, our contact info. And um, yeah, we're hoping. Thank you to, for listening. Yeah, you're hoping to continue this way. So let us know if it works or doesn't. And thank you for listening. Okay. Bye bye. Take care. <laughs>